Welcome everyone to Dafyomi One Week at a Time, Masechet Gitin. Uh, today is our third lesson, and today we are going to be reviewing Daf 14 through 21. Um, we left off last week speaking about um, people sending money via agents, uh, and we'll get back to how it connects to uh, sending a get in a minute. But uh, the Gemara tells us on Daf 14, uh, a little bit further down the Daf, it talks about if a money, if a person sent money via an agent, again, an agent is a shaliach. Uh, so if you sent money with, with an agent, then the sender is responsible for that money till it gets to the other person, to the creditor. Let's say he's paying back a loan. Um, if he wants the money back, if he, if the sender wants to retract the money, so there's a machloket, if there's a disagreement, whether once he sends it away, can he retract it or not? Uh, and here the question is, if the sender is responsible for it, for the entire journey, then maybe he's able to ask for that money back uh, till it gets to the person that he's sending the money to. Uh, and here we get into a discussion um, about the concept of sending something. Uh, in the Gemara, we, they use the term holech, which means uh, take this, right? Take this to so-and-so, right? So holech means to send it. Uh, but there's another uh, way to say, right? I want you to acquire this for the other person, right? Zoche, to be zoche means to acquire it for the other person. Uh, and the practical application is, when does it become the other person's item, right? Whether we're talking about money, we'll see later on with a get. Uh, so the question is, when I send money with another person, does it become the other person's or not? Right, or maybe you have to wait till it gets to the other person. Um, so the the Gemara then says there's another way of saying, right, give this money to so and so, as opposed to take this money to so and so. Uh, and here again, it seems that uh, the sender is responsible for the money till it gets to the hands of the other person, uh, but they cannot retract it once they send it away. Uh, the Gemara tells us a story of someone who brought money back for somebody else, right? Basically, someone said, oh, you're going to that city? Oh, do me a favor, when you come back, can you bring me some money that somebody owed me? And then the question is, who's responsible for that money? So the person who sends the money is responsible for the money till it's delivered to the recipient. Um, and then uh, they try to do this like a underhanded deal. Uh, there was another, um, there's another case where a person was watching uh, like a silver cup for somebody else. And then he asked, um, he asked somebody else to go pick it up for him, right? My silver cup is there. Can you go pick it up when you come back from this place? When the agent had it, so then uh, the other person wanted it back, meaning the person who was watching it said, oh, you know what? Give it back. And the agent said, no, you gave it to me to give back to the original owner. So you can't have it back. Right? I don't need to return it because you already gave it to me. Uh, it turns out that they then beat him up. It turns out it's some sort of like mafia and they beat him up and the rabbis don't stop him, uh, stop them because they realize that these are very dangerous people, uh, but not because they felt that it was correct to do so. Uh, so we see from here that if somebody is owed money or uh, you're returning an object to the original owner, as soon as you give it to the agent, it's as if you gave it back to the original owner. Now the Gemaras asks, what about sending a gift to another person, right? We can understand when I send back, let's say, money that I owe you or your possession that I was watching, so it's yours, right? But what if I want to send a gift 
So maybe there's a difference when I send a gift via this agent, right? So there's a case where a person sent a gift, uh, again, via a shaliach with an agent, um, but, uh, and they sent the gift to Levi, right, to a third party. Uh, but when the agent got to the city, uh, Levi, that third party, uh, died. So now the question is, what do you do with the money, right? Do you give it back to the owner or do you give it to Levi's descendants, right? Levi dies and all his possessions go to his children. So do you give the money to Levi's children? Um, so here again, the question is, um, did as soon as let's call him Reuven, as soon as Reuven gave the money to the shaliach, to the agent, did Levi already acquire it, and therefore you give it to Levi's children, or no, right, till he gives it to Levi, it's considered Reuven's, uh, and here the Gemara says, uh, maybe it depends on if Reuven, the original sender, if he was healthy when he sent it, or was it a dying wish? Uh, remember, we talked about if, if somebody's on their deathbed and literally about to die, we listen to everything that they say. Uh, if a person is healthy, then uh, we don't, it's not that we don't listen to them, but Levi, the third party, hasn't acquired it till he actually gets the item. Um, so then uh, the question is, again, let's say the case is, now Reuven dies. Let's say Levi died, and then Reuven died, meaning Reuven was the original sender. So now, does the money go to Levi's descendants? Again, that was the recipient. Or to Reuven's descendants, the sender, right, the, the original owner. Um, so the Gemara says, uh, actually has four different answers. One is, basically, it's all the permutations. The money goes to Reuven's descendants, the money goes to Levi's descendants. Uh, another option is they split it 50-50, right? 50 goes to the sender, 50 goes to uh, the original recipient. Uh, and the other option is that um, the agent, right? Let's call him Shimon, right? The agent actually gets to decide who it goes to, right? Maybe he understood uh, who really um, was meant to get this money. Um, Okay, um, so uh, the okay, so now the Gemara says that land, right? Till now we were talking about um, money or a gift. Uh, land can only be acquired by three things, right? Money, a document, or what's called chazaka. Chazaka means if you live on that land or work the land for three years, then it becomes yours. But movable items can only be acquired by what's called mishicha. Mishicha means to pull it, right, to move the item. Then it becomes yours, right? Or uh, both can be acquired with only a statement. Um, and you don't actually need a form of acquisition. So on DAF 15, Rabbi Shimon Hanasi says, um, that, um, uh, sorry, Rabbi Shimon, it, we, we have a statement by Rabbi Shimon Hanasi, and the Gemara says that he was already, he was really the Nasi, the Nasi is the leader of the Jewish people at the time, or um, he said it in the name of the Nasi, um, but uh, the Gemara now rules at the end of the chapter that uh, if money was given, um, um, if, again, if money was sent from Reuven, right, to Levi, and Levi died, the money goes back to Reuven, meaning the original sender, right, of the gift. However, um, if Reuven died, right, if he, if he died, then the money goes to Levi's descendants. Uh, and with that, we finish the first chapter of um, of Gittin. Okay, let's go to the second chapter uh, on Da 15. The Mishnah tells us, if you remember, we said that when you bring a get from another country to Israel, 
uh, the person who's bringing the get, the agent, which is how we got into this conversation in the first place, um, the agent um, needs to say, I saw it being written and I saw it being signed. So now the Gemara tells us, the sorry, the Mishnah tells us, if you bring a get from another country and you can only say one of those things, right? Either I saw it being written or I saw it being signed or you only saw one person signing or you only saw half of it being written, all of these cases are invalid. You needed to see the whole thing. Now, the, the Mishnah gives us another case. Let's say you saw, uh, one, let's say one person says, I saw it being written, and another person says, I saw it being signed. This is invalid. Again, all of these are partial statements. Let's say two people said that they saw it being written, and one person saw it being signed. Um, this is a machloket. If it's valid, uh, some say that it. Some say it's valid. Some say it's invalid. Let's say one person saw it being written, but two saw it being signed. Then it is valid. And we're going to see throughout this masachet uh, this tension between the writing of the the get of the document and the signing of the document. And we're going to see that the signing is extremely important. So now the Gemara is going to explain. If you only saw half of it being written, it was invalid. So now the Gemara asks, which half did you see it see being written? Remember we said there are two parts to the get. The first part is called the Torres, and that's the very individualized part of the get, the name of the husband, the name of the wife, the place where they lived, um, all, the date, all those specific things that, as you can imagine, is the most important part. And then we have what's called the tofes. That's the standardized um, um, words that are, that are written on the get. Um, so that is less important. So here the Gemara says, the first line is the most important, and therefore, if you only saw the second half being written, it's invalid. Um, but then the Gemara says, wait a minute, if you only saw the first part, um, so if you saw the first part, maybe it is valid. Let's say you only saw the first signature, so then that's invalid. Um, and the Gemara says, even if two people authenticate the second signature, it still doesn't work. And the Gemara explains that we need one mode of, of authenticating this document. Either you saw both of the signatures being signed, or you validate, you authenticate both signatures. But you can't do one or, and then, you know, one one way and one the other way. Um, the Gemara says, even if the agent and the other witness come, it's still invalid. Again, we need it to be all or nothing, meaning all, all this way or all the other way. Even if the agent is the second signer of the get, it's still invalid. Um, the Gemara tries to understand why we need all of these cases in the Mishnah, right? We had a lot of cases in the Mishnah, and the Gemara tries to understand why we need all of these cases. Um, so the Gemara explains, even though in Gitin, when we're talking about a divorce document, you need all, right? Again, either you saw it being written and signed, or you authenticate the signatures. In other cases of, of the law, meaning in other documents, you could actually have half and half. This is called chibur. Chibur means when you put the two together, you could do half and half. But for a get, you need two, right? Uh, you need to either authenticate both signatures or have seen both the witnesses sign it. Um, Okay, uh, and since we're talking about this concept of chibur, chibur being half uh, one mechanism and half another mechanism, the Gemara, as we are all familiar with at this point, um, the Gemara goes into a 
tangent um, and brings up other cases in Jewish law where we do have this idea of chibur, of putting two things together uh, and having it being valid in Jewish law. So the first thing is when we make an Eruv, this is going to be a good review. Uh, when we learned about making an Eruv, we said the Eruv needs to be 10 hand breaths, 10 tfachim high, or it could be 10 tfachim deep, right? Like a pit. Uh, so now uh, the Gemara teaches us that you could have five tfachim of the pit and five tfachim of a wall, meaning it doesn't have to be 10 or 10. It could either be, it can even be five and five. Uh, then the Gemara talks about washing hands and says that, um, where do we see chibur with washing hands? Maybe the case is two people washing hands with a minimum amount of water, or maybe we talk about half the hand being washed with, you know, once and then the other half being washed with a different time. Uh, or on the top of Daf 16, um, the Gemara says maybe we're talking about mikvah, uh, right? Mikvah needs to be a, a ritual bath, needs to have a minimum of 40 se'ah of water. It's a certain volume, 40 cubits of water. Um, and the Gemara tells us that if it's exactly 40 and two people go to the mikvah, meaning if one goes to the mikvah and then comes out and then another goes to the mikvah, that second person is invalid because we assume that when the first person got out, so then he took some water with him uh, and therefore the mikvah is no longer 40 se'ah. But the Gemara teaches us that if the first person, this is a very literal sense of the word chibur, because chibur means to attached. So let's say the first person goes to the mikvah and the first person starts going out. The second person goes in. And while the second person is in, the let's say the toes of the first person are still in the water. And that connects all the water that's on the first guy or first person uh, to the actual mikvah, and that would be uh, the second person would be in a um, a valid mikvah as well, which is a fascinating uh, idea. Um, okay, let's move on to back to our case. Let's say two witnesses come and say that they saw it being written, and one witness says that they saw it being signed, we say that it's invalid, right? Only if, right, if um, the one is the agent, right? But if both are agents, right? If both people are agents, so then it is valid. Or maybe you need both agents, both shlichim, to say that they both saw it being written and they both saw it being signed. Again, uh, we're concerned maybe because we're concerned that it wasn't written in the proper way uh, and therefore um, and therefore, they need to say that they saw it being written. Um, but if the issue is we're concerned about having witnesses, so now we have two witnesses, so that can't be the case. Um, okay, um, so again, we are concerned that they didn't see it being written. Let's say two people bring the get from uh, from outside of Israel. Um, they do not need to say that they saw it being written and signed um, because the Gemara says that if two people bring it, they are sufficient witnesses for the get itself. Um, Daf 17 says that when the scholars were discussing this idea, a person, um, a, a person, um, one second, um, ah, okay, a person came um, and t wanted to take away their lamp um, and, oh, uh, sorry, this person was a Persian priest, uh, right, who was worshiping uh, idolatry and because it was a holiday 
for the uh, for the idol worshippers, uh, the the Jews were not allowed to have lamps lit at this time, right? They celebrated it with fire, uh, and therefore the Jews were not allowed to have lamps at this time. Uh, and here the Gemara interjects that you should just know that the exile in in Babel in Babylonia was better, um, right? Then. Um, then the Persians, because when the Persians came, it was really bad. Uh, but the Gemara also says that Babel was better than Rome as well. So this was just like an aside of like who suffered the most and when was it the most terrible. As we mentioned, right, one person says that they saw it being written and then two people say that they saw it being signed. Now it's valid. Um, and that's only if the one, sorry, that's only if the one who says that they saw it being signed is the actual agent. Um, because again, the agent is almost like he's two people. And then we have two people who saw it being signed, right? And two people who saw it being written, and then it works. But if the ones who saw it being signed are the agents, so then it's invalid because we only have one person who saw it being written. Um, okay, next Mishnah on Daf 17. Um, if the, the get, right, the get needs to be written and signed on the same day, meaning during the day, or they could both be done at night, meaning they were signed at night, uh, written at night, and signed at night. Or it could even have been written at night and signed the next day, because we know that if the nighttime, right, and the next day are the same Jewish date. So that works. However, right, you can see where the Gemara is going. If it was written during the day and then it was signed the following night, right, that night, those are two different days, right? Because the day begins at night. Uh, then it would be invalid because it is the wrong date. Rabbi Shimon says, actually, it is valid only for a get, only for a divorce document, but not for any other document. So the Gemara asks, why do we need a date on the get in the first place? Why does it matter? Why do we need a date? So this is a machloket. One opinion is that we're concerned. We need to know exactly when the woman, the man and the woman got divorced because we're concerned that maybe a man was married to his relative and then she had an affair and he's going to feel bad for her, right? He doesn't want her to get killed. So he's going to cover for her and say, you know what? Actually, we were already divorced then, so it's okay because right, he feels bad. So we need to know exactly when they got divorced um, so that we know uh, when she, you know, when she was married and when she was divorced. Another opinion is that we need to know when she's, when they get divorced um, because of what's called peyrot, right? If you remember, peyrot are the things that the husband is entitled to while they're married. And we need to know exactly when to stop his ability to sell these this produce um, because that's what right when they get divorced he could no longer sell the produce um, so the Gemara tries to prove which one is the right um, is the correct uh, reason why we need to have the date on the get um, and you were going to learn on this daf the concept of what's called a get Mukdam, which literally means an early get, but it really means a pre-dated get, right? As we said, it's important to recognize the date of the divorce, and that has to be accurate. You can't pre-date a document, right? If let's say today they're going to the court, they can't write that they got divorced last week. That doesn't work. Um, or, um, right, again, uh, now the Gemara asks, um, when does the husband lose his rights 
to sell the peirot, to sell the produce, right? Or the, I'm using the word produce, but it really means any income from his wife's property, right? So that could be a field, it could be an orchard, it could be an apartment that he's getting rent from. Um, yes, product, thank you. Um, Zohar said product, I keep saying produce. Um, but exactly. Um, so the question is, does the husband lose the rights to her uh, property um, from the writing of the get or from when he gives the get? So that is the machloket on this daf. Um, but it is important, as it, again, it's always fascinating when the Gemara says this is very important, and then the Gemara says, well, if you didn't do the thing that was very important, is it still valid? So the Gemara tells us that if there's no date on the get, um, the child, um, let's say, uh, their children uh, aren't seen as illegitimate um, because uh, again, we don't want to create more illegitimate children. Um, so then the Gemara says, so why do we need a date? Right? We need, a, we need the date on the get so that she's not going to get married before she gets the get. So uh, again, lechatchila, a priori, we need a, uh, we need a date on the get, but if there isn't one, it still works according, uh, or at least it doesn't, um, it doesn't prevent uh, or it doesn't mess up the children of that uh, relationship. Um, the Gemara also teaches us that a partial date is valid, right? Let's say you only have the year or they only have the month. It still helps within that year or within that month to prevent, again, this woman from having an affair or from him selling the, um, his wife's um, uh, property. Okay, Daf 18. If he wrote a get with, um, with a date and then he saves it, right? He puts it in a drawer, right? Can the husband use it or not, right? Again, won't it be the wrong date? Um, so the Gemara says uh, he's not going to want to use the earlier date because he's then going to lose, or again, the rights to her property. Um, so we say... Um, that there's no decree against this type of document. Um, so the Gemara also teaches us on Daf 18 that a divorce document, a get, has what's called a kol. Kol in Hebrew means a voice. Uh, but here it really means that people know, right? If you're going to write a get to your wife, so then people are going to know, oh, they got divorced. Uh, and therefore, if it was written in Nissan, right, in one month, but it's only given to her much later on in the year, it's still okay because people are going to hear about when she received the get. So that is okay. Um, and now we have a machloket. If, uh, if you remember, we learned in Yevamot that if a woman gets a divorce or is widowed, she needs to wait three months till she remarries. Uh, again, we're concerned that maybe she's pregnant, uh, and we're concerned that we're not going to know uh, if she was pregnant from the first husband or the second husband. Um, so here the Gemara asks, do we count the three months from when the get was written or from when the get was given? Right? Where do we uh, where do we say that she's really divorced? And, um, well, not really where she's divorced, but when we can start counting. Uh, and the Gemara brings support for both of these ideas. Okay, so we have a Brita that says that she needs to wait three months from when she gets it, even if it was written three months before. Uh, but we have another Brita that says that she could actually get married right away if it was written three months before. Um, and that is actually the law that she can get married right away if it was written three months before. Okay. Um, now we're, we're going to go into a little bit, a little bit off topic. Um, the Gemara asks, how does Shemitah affect the Ketuva? Now, again, we're going back to Ketuva, um, right? Ketuva is the document that uh, that the husband owes the wife if they get divorced. 
Um, Shemitah is the seventh year. Uh, on the seventh year, um, not only is the land uh, meant to lie fallow, meaning no one is allowed to work the land, uh, but more than that, um, it also gets rid of or um, uh, cancels out any loan. Now, a ktuva is seen as a loan, right? It's almost like an IOU. So the Gemara asks, when is it an IOU? So the Gemara says, till the wife gets any money from the ktuva, it's seen as a, uh, what's called in Hebrew, a tnai bet din, meaning a condition of the court, meaning it's something that the court is going to enforce. Um, it's not seen as a loan or a debt. It's not an IOU. However, if she receives some sort of partial payment from the ktuva, so then Rav says she also needs um, to establish it as a loan. Shmuel says that if she received a partial payment or if she turned it into a loan without receiving any money, so then Shemitah can cancel this ktuva. Uh, and again, the, the Gemara brings us support for each, uh, for each opinion. As I mentioned, the ktuva is a court enactment, um, and it can be written during the day and signed at night, right? This is a special dispensation. Um, and the reason given is because the ktuva is really just a document of what the court decided, right? It doesn't create something new. We know that the husband needs to support the wife. Uh, we know that, um, that he has to give her this money if they get divorced. Um, and uh, as long as they spoke about it from the day into the night, it is seen as valid. Um, going back to get. So the Gemara tells us that as soon as the husband writes the get, he can no longer sell her property. He loses that right. Um, now the Gemara tells a story about a person who told 10 people, don't do this at home, he told 10 people to write a get. So the question is, who, what does it mean 10 people should write the get? So two people sign the get, right? They're the witnesses. And then eight people also sign it, but they're not really the witnesses to the document. Rather, he wanted it to be publicized. Or maybe all 10 of them are seen as witnesses and all 10 of them uh, are, are an intrinsic part to the get. Uh, the Gemara says maybe only if he says, all of you, right, kulchem, all of you together need to write me this get, uh, and that's when all 10 of them are seen as um, witnesses to this, um, to this document. Um, okay, uh, and the Gemara explains why is this important to understand, um, because let's say somebody is invalidated, does it invalidate the whole get, or only those first two people that signed it are the actual witnesses to the document. Um, okay. Daf 19. The Mishnah tells us um, you can write a get with any sort of ink. It could be black, it could be red, uh, as long as it will last. Now, it doesn't have to be completely permanent, but even if you like try to erase it, it has to leave some sort of mark. You cannot write a get with fruit juice, right, which like uh, dries clear, right, like, you know, like the lemon juice uh, secret spy notes. Uh, so you can't do that. Um, or anything that will not last, um, you can't write a get with. Now, uh, the Mishnah continues, you can write on anything, right? You can write on a leaf, you can write on the horn of a cow, you can write on the hand of a slave. And then the Gemara says, no, 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 right? There's a machloket. Um, and um, another opinion is that you can't write on anything that is alive or that is food. And we're going to discuss this 
in the Gemara. It is important to understand that nowadays um, a get is written with black ink on parchment by a scribe, but it is important to know that in the Gemara it really could be written with anything and on anything. Again, not anything, anything, but a lot of some things. Um, okay, so now the Gemara explains. Uh, like we said, any color ink or dye, it could be lead or charcoal. Um, and now we're going to get into, right, if we're talking about writing, another time in the Gemara that we talk about writing is on Shabbat. Right, for those of you who remember, uh, we, we learned in Masechat Shabbat, you're not allowed to write on Shabbat. So now the Gemara says, on Shabbat, if, let's say, you had something uh, that was written with red ink, and then on Shabbat you traced over the letters in black ink, that is considered writing for Shabbat, and you are liable. Uh, that is would be um, a transgression because the idea is that black ink is better than red ink uh, and therefore you're improving it and therefore you're liable. Um, and not only that, but you're also liable for erasing because when you write the black letters over the red letters, you've now just erased the the red letters. So you would actually be um, liable for two things, not just one. So now what happens if you write black ink on top of black ink? So now you're not really improving it. Um, the Gemara says it, you're not liable at all because you didn't erase it because it's black on black, so it's the same, and you didn't improve it, uh, so therefore you didn't write either. Um, what about if you wrote red on black? Um, so that's a machloket. Right. On one hand, you're erasing the black letters, but on the other hand, you're not improving it. Um, or maybe you're just not liable at all because you're destroying the letters. Um, and here we actually did learn this. I don't remember if it was last week or two weeks ago about the witnesses, uh, if they don't know how to sign their names. Uh, and uh, the question is, can you write their names in red ink? excuse me, and then have them write over it in black ink, right? That seems to be writing. Remember we said on Shabbat, you'd be liable for writing in this case. Um, the Gemara says, no, for Shabbat, it's considered writing. But for signing your name on a document, it is not considered writing. Um, and therefore, it would not be valid. Um, okay, um, what about if we etch the names into, let's say, the parchment, and then they write over it, maybe that's okay. Or you write it with lead, right, which is something like, I guess, lighter, and then they color over it. Um, so that seems to be, uh, that seems to be valid. Um, or let's say you put spit on it, I guess you're writing with spit, that sounds lovely, um, and then they write over it again with ink, so then that's only okay for a get, but it's not valid for any other, uh, for any other document. Yes, Zohar, uh, yes, when I mentioned lead, that's exactly like a pencil, right, we know on one hand lead is pretty dark, on the other hand it is erasable, so um, that is what the Gemara is talking about. Um, if the witnesses cannot read, right, so they can't read the document, so then you read it to them, and then they sign it. This is only, again, for a get, but for all other documents, um, we do not allow it. Again, remember we said at the beginning of the Masechet, we want to make sure or make it as easy as possible for the woman to be able to get divorced. Uh, and therefore, we allow certain leniencies with a get as opposed to with a regular uh, document that would, um, you know, let's say a sale or a loan. Um, okay. Um, again, as we just said, right, you need to read the document before you sign it or, again, have it read to you, uh, but it can only be read to you by people that you trust, right? And therefore, the Gemara talks about, um, let's say you're signing 
a, a secular agreement, right? Some sort of, uh, again, if you're talking about the Persian court, um, and let's say you didn't speak the language, so you can ask two different non-Jews to read it to you, and you see if they separately say the same thing, and then you can rely on that and you can sign it. Um, if a Jew signed a Persian contract, the Gemara says it's valid, as long as we know that they could read it. Um, but, oh, and as long as we know that the letters were treated, right, the ink or the parchment, so that we know that it can't have been forged. Uh, we have to make sure that it wasn't forged, and it seems that they actually used to put some sort of like summary at the bottom of the document um, so that um, you would know exactly what this document was all about. Um, let's say the husband gave his wife a blank piece of paper and he says, here's your get. So the Gemara actually says it's valid. We assume that it's written with, uh, you know, magic ink that was absorbed and we accept it. Um, let's say a man, I would imagine nowadays that would not work, but um, let's say a man gave a get to his wife, and then without looking at it, she threw it, you know, in the incinerator. So it actually says in the sea. Um, so, and then he says, ha, 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 I tricked you. That wasn't a get. That was, uh, you know, the newspaper. Um, and so the question is, what do we say? So the Gemara says we actually say that she is divorced because when he gives it to her and he says, this is your get, He's believed then. Um, let's go back to the case with the invisible ink. Um, so the Gemara says, actually, you have to check if there was ink there. If there was ink there in the first place, so then it's valid. But if not, then no, right? We don't just blindly trust the husband. Um, okay. Um, ah, and remember the case where he, she, she threw it out? So we say that he's not believed to invalidate the get, right? He is believed to say that it's a get, but not to invalidate it. Again, remember there were witnesses that signed it. So we know that we can always ask the witnesses. So we say that we believe him the first time, but not the second time. Let's say another case. The husband takes, okay, so we didn't learn this yet in uh, customary uh, uh, Gemara fashion, but we're going to learn that, uh, actually we'll learn it even to, in today's class, that the husband needs to give the get to his wife in her hands. However, uh, according to the Torah, according to the Bible, he can even, well, according to the Gemara's interpretation of the, of the verse, um, he can even throw it into her courtyard, and when it lands in her courtyard, her courtyard acquires it for her, and she is divorced. Now, again, this does not happen nowadays. Nowadays, we say, even though biblically a man can divorce his wife without her consent, uh, rabbinically, that is not the case. Uh, and therefore, all of the cases that we're going to see today and throughout this Masechet, um, when we see cases of um, it being against her will, uh, even though the Gemara says it works, uh, it is not a valid way to give a, uh, a get, and it does not work rabbinically. Okay, so now what's the case? Um, the husband threw the get into the wife's courtyard, and when she went to go get it, she only found a mezuzah. Okay, so now, do we assume that he just threw the mezuzah and he never threw the get and therefore they're not divorced. Um, but let's say she, if she finds a few mezuzot, we assume that they were there before and really he, he threw the get, uh, but uh, maybe a rat came and it pulled it away and uh, really she is divorced. Um, so uh, interesting. Okay. Um, let's say a man takes out a Sefer Torah, uh, a Torah scroll, and he gives it to his wife, and he says, here is your get, uh, the top of Daf 20. Uh, the Gemara says that is not valid. 
we're not concerned that maybe he wrote it with like a certain, uh, again, invisible ink on the Torah scroll. Uh, that is not okay, uh, and therefore it is not valid. Um, if someone wrote a Torah and didn't have, right, since we're talking about writing the get, uh, let's say someone wrote a Sefer Torah, a scribe. <coughs> Excuse me one second. Okay. Um, when a person writes, when a scribe writes a Torah scroll, they need to have proper intent when they write God's name. So let's say they didn't have proper intent, so then they can go back to the Torah scroll and they can write over God's name with the proper intent, and that is valid. So now the question is, um, right, can you do this with a get, right, with the woman's get? Let's say the woman's get has her name, but it wasn't written specifically for her. Can we go over her name with the ink? Um, so the Gemara tries to bring different uh, proofs. Right, if the get was written on, um, ah, so we don't really have an answer to that right now. Um, let's say the get was written on something that is forbidden to get benefit from. Right, let's say it is written on an idol or something that is forbidden. Um, the get is actually still valid. Um, the get does not have to be written on something of value. Uh, which is, again, I think very fascinating. Um, now, it has to be written and it cannot be engraved, right? It says in the verse, the katav la, he must, he must write it for her. So to write is not to engrave. It's a different action. Uh, but a brisa says that engraving is like writing. Um, so the Gemara teaches us that there's two ways to engrave something. Um, if you engrave, right, again, engrave means to, you know, kind of uh, cut out, right, or push down. So if you um, engrave around a letter to create, right, the letter like standing up, then that isn't valid because you didn't make the letter, like you made everything else and, oh, look at that, there's a letter there. Um, but if you engrave the letter, then um, you then that is valid. Uh, and from here, the Gemara goes to something else that was engraved, and that was the tzitz. The tzitz was the uh, golden headbands of the high priest of the Kohen Gadol, and it actually had raised letters on it. Right, it said Kodesh Lehashem, right, sanctified for God. Um, and um, the Gemara says that it, it's engraved. So how does it work? Uh, the Gemara says it was actually engraved from the back, right? If you engrave something from the back, so from the front, it's raised letters. And therefore, uh, it was written, uh, and that is valid. Um, let's say a man wrote a get on a plate of gold. Uh, that would definitely not happen nowadays. That is very expensive. Um, but, and then he said, here is your get and your ktuva, right? What's the idea? He owes her money. So he says, right, keep this get and write like the, keep the change, right? The value of the get is now payment for your ktuva. So the Gemara says that that is actually valid, it does work, but only if there's a part that is for the get and enough left over for the ketuvah, meaning exactly where the letters are written uh, would be the get and everything else, I guess, right, the margins are the ketuvah, um, right, so and he has to say the margins are for your ketuvah. Um, let's say a man says, here is your get, right, on a piece of paper. He says, here is your get, but the paper is mine. Um, so then it doesn't work, right? She's not divorced because 
you can't take the letters off the paper and she needs to have her get right she, he can't like take it back he can't own it um so that doesn't work um let's say a woman comes to court with a slave and uh the slave has the get written on his arm so then is that valid what's the case can we assume that the husband transferred the slave to the wife right because she needs to as i mentioned she needs to own the get right so if the the slave right if it's written on his arm it sounds crazy but the slave becomes the get and therefore in order for her to be divorced she needs to own the get i.e the slave um so is this valid or no um so if there are no witnesses that saw him give her the slave right and um um so let's say there are no witnesses and the get can't be a forgery right or changed uh the gemara says how could we make sure that it wasn't forged or changed it actually was tattooed into the slave's arm again i don't think this is meant to be taken literally uh, i think this is meant to be uh an exercise in uh right uh i would say rational thought or maybe irrational but uh we want to understand intellectually how far can we take this uh these cases um and they will still be valid um so the Gemara tells us that because slaves are mobile, his presence isn't enough proof, right? She could have just said, I'll give you $10 if you come with me to court. Um, so then uh, it doesn't prove that she owns the, uh, the slave. Let's say a man comes to court with his wife's uh, tablet. I think it's funny because we also have tablets nowadays, but it means like literally a uh, you know, a board that she used to write in. So let's call it her notebook uh, or her iPad, but that would be funny, right? Um, and so the man comes to court with his wife's, uh, right, like notebook, and it has the get written on it, right? Do we believe him to say that it was, um, uh, that to make, so do we believe him to say that he acquired it from her? Right, what does that mean? He needs to own the get and when he writes it, and then he needs to transfer the ownership to her. Right, so before with the get case with the slave, we wanted to make sure that it was transferred to her. Here we want to make sure that it was originally transferred to him um, when he wrote the get, right? Or did he just like take her notebook from her desk? So the question is, um, right, do we believe that he acquired it? So Doc 21 tells us that, um, that the, the Gemara actually says that a woman understands enough that she needs to give the husband the tablet. And right, in order for the get to be valid, she understands that she has to give it to him, meaning to own as a gift. And then he can give it back to her with the get right so she does understand that she has to transfer the ownership um let's say a man wrote the get and then okay so before we had the man writing it on the slave's arm let's say now he writes the get on a piece of paper he gives the piece of paper to the slave then he writes another document giving the slave to uh to his wife uh right lynn wrote digital can be erased correct you cannot have a digital uh you cannot have a digital get it must be uh it must be uh a physical uh a physical get um uh interesting someone just asked if a tablet has ever been recovered with a get on it that is an excellent question I do not know the answer. I will ask my archaeologist friend. Um, I doubt it because it would be very difficult to ascertain uh, that it's that it's a get. But I'll I'll ask. That's a great question. Uh, I'm not sure. 
Um, right. Someone, when I was teaching this morning, someone asked me like, you know, how often did they write gets on random, uh, random objects? The answer is we don't know. Um, right. We, we're, we're not sure. Um, right. Definitely uh, wax, a, a wax tablet would not be okay because that is very easily, uh, right, Lynn just mentioned uh, a wax tablet, that would be very easily erased, I would imagine. So I, I would imagine that that is not okay. Uh, it actually needs to be, right, written with ink on something, right, on a surface that would not be able to uh, be erased. Um, okay, let's go back to another crazy case. Um, the man wrote the get on a paper, gave the paper to the slave, then gave the wife the slave as a gift. The Gemara says this is valid, right? She gets the slave as her property and she is divorced. Um, and it has to be that the slave was immobilized when he was given the get uh, because he needs to be like the courtyard, uh, which sounds a little... Uh, um, not far-fetched, but a little like disturbing to us. But the idea is um, he has to give it to her in a immovable, right, uh, area. Um, a slave, a person can walk around. Therefore, if the slave was asleep or tied up, he could be like a chatser, like a courtyard, and he could acquire the get for her, right? Let's say the man wrote a get, put it in his own courtyard, and then gave the wife the courtyard as a gift. Uh, this is um, this is um, this is valid, um, right? She can acquire right the get with her hand or with her courtyard. Um, the the Gemara also continues to tell us though that there needs to be. Um, no other action that needs to be done in between um, the writing of the get and the giving of the get. So let's say he wrote the get on the horn of a cow. He actually has to give her the entire cow, even though technically he can cut the horn off and give her the horn. Uh, the Gemara explains that he needs to write it and give it, right? And not have another, uh, not, and not have another, um, step in the process. However, as we mentioned, Rabbi Yossi Aglili says, um, you cannot write on anything that is alive or on food. Um, okay, final Mishnah for today. Um, you cannot write the get on something that is still attached to the ground. Um, but if you wrote it and then you detached it, and then the witnesses signed it, so then it is valid. Rabbi Huda says it is not valid. The next case in the Mishnah, you can't write on paper that was erased already, again, because we're afraid that you're going to forge the document, um, right? And you can't write on unfinished parchment, because again, we can't tell if it was erased, but the, uh, the sages say this is okay. Right. Let's say you started writing the Gemara now says, let's say you started writing the get on something that was attached and then you left some spaces to be filled in afterwards. Then you detached it and then you filled it in. So then that would be valid. Um, if right, right, meaning if in retrospect, in hindsight, you wrote the whole get on this object, right? Let's say a leaf that was attached to a tree and then you detached it and then they signed it. So then it would be valid, right? We don't want it, uh, we don't want you to do that a priori, but it does work in hindsight. Uh, last idea, if he wrote the get on a flower pot. Now the flower pot has a hole on the bottom. In the time of the Mishnah and the Gemara, there are two types of flower pots, I guess nowadays also. A flower pot that does not have a hole at the bottom, that's considered not attached to the ground, right? Because it's closed. If it has a hole at the bottom, so then it's seen as attached to the ground because um, you can like get nutrients from the ground as well. So if you wrote a get on the flower pot, so then it's valid because you can literally pick up the flower pot and give it to the wife. But if he wrote it on a leaf of the plant in the pot, so then it's a machloket. Some say it's valid because he could just, again, pick up the pot 
and give it to her. Some say it's invalid because you might come to detach it. And as we mentioned, you can't write the get on something that is attached and then detach it. Okay, that is uh, that is what we have for today. I saw there were a few questions. Hold on a minute. Do we have an oldest get recovered archaeologically? Uh, again, excellent question. I do not know the answer to that. I will look it up um, and I will try to um, either email you or I'll write it in my notes to, remind, to uh, discuss it next week. Um, and a non-mobile person could be a person in jail. No, because a person in jail can still walk around in the cell. Um, so it's not about not being able to walk freely. It actually means like literally cannot take one step. Uh, and therefore, the person would actually have to be tied up. Um, so uh, excellent, excellent questions. Uh, wishing everyone a wonderful week. Uh, and we will see you next week. Regular, same time, same place. Uh, have a good week, everyone.